Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see all of you here. Man, you came back. You came back for part two of our four-part series called uh, Overcome. Uh, The premise of this series is that there is a bit of frustration uh, that comes along with the celebration of the Christmas season and also with the anticipation of a new year. And sometimes that year-end shift from the old year to the new year uh, causes us to reflect on what we've accomplished and we haven't accomplished what we set out to accomplish. Uh, you know, Christmas just, honestly, it sets itself up for some disappointment because we have a tendency to overexpect and, and to over-anticipate at Christmas. It's like the little boy, that he, uh, all he wanted for Christmas was a basketball. And then one day he noticed that underneath the tree there was a package, and it was kind of an odd package because it looked like a box, but it didn't look like a box because it kind of had round stuff on each side. And he's looking at it, and he thinks, hey, that's my basketball. And he just was so, so excited. And then on Christmas morning, he opened it up, and it was a globe. (laughs) And sometime... The disappointments of the holiday season, the disappointments of shifting from the old year to the new year uh, can outweigh the celebration. And that can lead to disappointment and even to depression. And maybe you've given up the hope of ever uh, really changing. The, the idea of New Year's resolutions and the hope of life change. You, you're not, you don't have hope, you're just trying to cope with your struggles. And I just want you to know that 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 has never been my dream for this church. I I have never wanted to be a church where we just come together, we kind of put on the godly act, check the godly box, and then we leave here and we just go out and live with our struggles. Uh, No, Uh, the goal isn't to cope. I, I believe that there is hope for real life change. And my goal is that you would not just come to the services, but that you would go on a journey with us. Because real life change is possible if we use the right methods. And too many of us are trying to change our life from the outside in. When Jesus clearly teaches that the way we change is from the inside out. You know, changing what's in our hearts, changing what's in our minds, changes our behavior rather than the other way around. I mean, you can change your diet, change your budget, change your schedule, change, you know, the structure of your relationships. But if you just do that from the outside without working on what's inside, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. But Jesus says that if we have faith, see, it's a spiritual endeavor. If we have faith the size of a mustard seed, he says you can say to that mountain, be moved into the sea, and the mountain will be moved. Now, I hope you understand that Jesus was using a metaphor. That he wasn't telling us that if we have a little bit of faith, we can move huge amounts of dirt and rock. Because that's not the evidence of our faith. That, you know, Christians are walking around and just big chunks of stuff are moving around from here to there. That's not the evidence of our faith. He's speaking metaphorically about the mountains in here. The addiction, the depression, the anger, the insecurity, the issues that we fight in here. That is the evidence of our faith when we move those mountains. And, you know, I just want to let you know, uh, Friday night at our Celebrate Recovery service, six people got baptized Celebrate Recovery. How cool was that? I mean, you know, mountains are moving, baby. It's evidence of life change. And so here's the journey that I want to take you on in this series. Each week... I want to tackle a topic that we all struggle with to one degree or another. 
specifically addiction, depression, anger, and insecurity. And I want to show you what the real root cause is. That's the reveal part of what we're doing. That, you know, because it's real easy for us to, to focus on the behavior and never really dig down and discover, well, this is what's really causing me to do this. And once we've exposed the root, then I want to give you some practical application to help you overcome that struggle. And last week I started with the premise that we're all addicts. That we all have something that we don't want to do that we can't stop doing. And we discovered that the root of addiction is idolatry. The, the, the issue is we have allowed that thing that we keep doing to become our God. It sits on the throne of our heart. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever you worship, uh, that's what you serve. And whatever you serve, that's what you become a slave to. And so if we're going to break our addictions, we have got to dethrone those false god idols that we've allowed to, to take root on our heart. And Jesus told us that the way we do that is through fasting and prayer. Because the way we connect with God is through intentional, intimate prayer. And the way we disconnect from the world, the way we break the control of our addictions, is we fast. We just break that connection. We step away from it. We, we refuse to give it the power uh, that it has to hold us. And this week, I'm going to talk about the topic of depression. Because depression is something that all of us deal with to one degree or another, especially during the holidays and the transition from one year to another. And I just want to say this right up front. I know that some of you are experiencing depression at a very high level. And we all struggle with it to some degree or another, but some of you are struggling with it intensely. And I want to be very clear that, that I don't want to disrespect what you're going through by implying that I can fix it in a 30-minute sermon. Okay? I understand that it's far more complex than that. But I also believe in the power and the potential of life change. And I believe that God uses his word and God uses services like this to be a catalyst for life change. Services and sermons like this one can be a catalyst that can jumpstart the process in your heart and life. And it can be very, very real and very, very effective. Listen, folks, we're on the verge of a, very, a God moment right here. And so I want you to understand that, that God has given us a variety of methods to deal with our depression. For centuries, the church has recognized, the Bible has recognized that depression is a very complex issue. Honestly, in our day, it's science and it's the medical community that have said, here, just take this pill and that'll solve your problem. Well, that's a one-dimensional view of it. But the Bible recognizes that when we're struggling with depression, it's physical, it's mental, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. And if you're going to break free from it, if you're going to overcome, you've got to address all those areas. And so I'll encourage you, listen to your medical doctor. Follow their advice. Listen to your counselor, to your psychologist, your psychiatrist. Follow their advice. And listen to your pastor. Okay? Because if you shut God out of this process, honestly, you're cutting yourself off from the very power that can help you to get a breakthrough and overcome it. Now, I want to tell you, I do not take this topic lightly. I know that for some of you, this can be very devastating. And I understand. Depression is something you can't fully understand unless you've experienced it. And I'll tell you that in the past, I've had struggles with depression. 
I've had significant seasons. In my late 20s, early 30s, I had some seasons there that were really, really uh, painful for me. And I had, to, I had to seek some help. I had to make some life change in order to overcome that and break free from it. So I recognize everybody's experience is unique, but I'm not totally unfamiliar with this struggle. And thankfully, neither are God and the Bible unfamiliar with this struggle. The Bible has lots to say about depression. And I want to start today with, with this premise, that depression is a hopelessness that is not consistent with reality. While the depression is real and the hopelessness that you feel is real, they are not consistent with reality. Let, let me explain this. You know, what happens with depression can also happen with other emotions. For instance, fear. It's possible for us to struggle with fears, with phobias that are disconnected from reality. It's possible for us to have real fear about something that's not really going to happen. So something that, 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 that really isn't the case. We can have irrational fears. Fear is real, but what we're afraid of is not. The same is true with depression. Depression can give us a real hopelessness but it's disconnected from reality. And so we want to see, how do we, how do we uh, change that disconnect and bring our feelings and our hopelessness in connection with reality? David in the Psalms does a tremendous job of this. So our starting verse today is Psalm 42. David doesn't sugarcoat any of this. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? David's depressed and people are saying to him, where's your faith the size of a mustard seed, David? David says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. David says, I don't get this. Why, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? He says, I used to be happy, now I'm depressed. Why? He says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David's being very reflective here. And he's asking himself, what is wrong with me? I used to be happy, now I'm sad. And David unlocks for us here one of the real causes of depression. He exposes that the root cause of our depression is our thinking. It's not the only cause, but it's one of the core causes. And just like with addiction, the core cause was idolatry. And the key phrase was, was whatever you worship, you become a slave to. The core issue with depression is our thinking. David says, these things I remember. What are you fixing your mind on? Because whatever you think, you become. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So here's the main thought for the day. Write this down. I will never change my life until I change the way I think. Because everyone falls prey to negative thinking from time to time. And depending on what we do with those negative thoughts that come into our mind, that's going to determine whether we wind up depressed or not. And I submit to you, this bad thinking comes to us from three sources. And so the question is, is who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Because the first source of bad thinking is the devil will lie to you. The devil will lie to you. You may think, oh, pastor, Mr. Christian guy, sure, of course, it's all the devil's fault. 
You know, we see a demon behind every bush and a devil under every rock. Well, maybe this is a little too spiritual for you, but whether you like it or not, I just want to be clear so that you know that the job description of the devil is to lie to you. Jesus said in John 8, he says, when he, the devil, lies, he speaks his native language. You know how you can tell when the devil is lying? His lips are moving, okay? Because he is a liar and the father of lies. And a lot of us buy into the lies that the devil speaks into our lives. And I'll just explain this to you theologically. You know, you may be thinking, but I'm a Christian. The devil doesn't hold any sway over me. And you're right, he doesn't. But that doesn't keep him from lying to you all the time. And that doesn't mean that you can't believe those lies and act on them in a way that harms your life. Because the devil lies to you all the time. It's his job description. It's his nature. And he lies to you. And he tells you, nobody understands how you feel. You're the only one that feels this way. And the devil lies to you and he tells you that, that, that no one cares about you. And he tells you everybody's judging you. Even when they say, how are you doing? They're judging you. And the devil will lie to you and he'll tell you, there's no hope. In fact, there's no hope because this is all your fault. And he lies to you and he tells you to be afraid. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced these lies coming into your mind, these irrational fears, these feelings of dread that seem to come out of nowhere. And really, they're, they're disconnected from reality. They're lies that are being spoken into your life. And it's a common struggle. It's a common struggle to all of us. And we've got to be aware of it and not fall prey to it. You know, David acknowledges the reality that this is a spiritual battle. Psalm 13, he says, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David says, this is a spiritual battle. The devil is lying to me. And I've got to recognize that and learn how to deal with it. Second thing that gets into our minds, and we've got to decide whether we're going to allow it to or not. And that is, the world will pollute you. The world will pollute you. And I can't think of a better time, a more powerful time to determine that you are not going to let the world pollute your mind and heart than during the Christmas season. Because it's during this season that that battle intensifies. This is the most spiritually sensitive time of the year. Personally, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ in this season of the year. As a freshman in college, the impact of this season and the struggle of whether I was going to serve God or serve the world pushed me to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Uh, it was the Tuesday of finals week. It was December 18th, a week before Christmas. And God had been working on me that whole semester, but everything came to a head right the week before Christmas. And I made a decision that I was going to disconnect from the world and I was going to connect my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I wasn't going to let the world pollute me anymore. And trust me, I had a lot of pollutants. Okay? And maybe that's a decision that you need to make today. Look at Ephesians 4. It says, So I tell you this and insist on it, in the Lord. This is a serious issue that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. You can't live as an unbeliever. You may be a believer, but you can't live like an unbeliever in the futility of their thinking. Now, how does the world pollute you with the futility of their thinking? 
Well, you're listening to their music. You're watching their TV shows and their movies. You're reading their books and magazines. You're listening to their news reports and believing them. You're lapping up the junk they put on the internet and social media. And it is polluting your mind. And it is depressing your life. It's destroying your life. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. I mean, you talk to somebody who's going through depression, and one of the common terms you'll hear is, it's dark. It's, it's just dark. I mean, you start to fill your mind up with the pollution that the world has to offer, and it's dark, and it's dead, because it's separated from the life of God. That's another reason why last week's message was so important, because it is through prayer and fasting that we disconnect from the world through fasting and we connect with God through prayer. Prayer connects us to God. First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, that, that's through prayer. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you pray intently, intimate prayers with God, God flushes out the pollutants that have come into your heart and mind. And fasting breaks that connection, it stops the flow of pollution into your life. And so we get these dark thoughts that come from the lies of the devil, the pollution of the world. Third place they come from, your problems will confuse you. And a lot of negative thinking comes because we assess our problems wrongly. When, when you're going through a problem, you can't see the reality. You can't see straight. I, I refer to it as being in the box. You get, into, you get into a problem situation, and it's like you're in the box and the lid is closed. You can't see the big picture. You can't see a way out. You can't see all the other things that are happening. It distorts your reality. It confuses you. And one of the most common mistakes that we make is we assign our problems to God. We blame God for the problem. Or we say, God, you could have stopped this problem, and you haven't. I want to show you this, this from the Bible, because it, it's fascinating. It's so striking once you see this. Psalm 10 says this, says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of troubles? David says, God, you aren't helping anybody. You've run off and hid somewhere. Now, I want you to be very clear. That is not true. I mean, this is a verse in the Bible. And in fact, it, it, it's the way a lot of the psalms start out. I mean, once you see this pattern, it's a fun exercise to read through the psalms and see how David does this over and over again. David often starts a psalm by just venting his frustration. He's not even speaking the truth about God. He's just telling us how he truly feels. And so David will start off really depressed. Sometimes he starts off really mad. I mean, he's just distorted and confused. He's got enemies who are attacking him, and, and he just starts out venting. And then by the time you get to the end of the psalm, he goes, and uh, oh, by the way, God, you're really awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's just a shift. You know, he works it out. And the beauty of the Bible is, is it shows us David working it out. And, you know, you'll read the few verses of a psalm, and David is bad. He's got these enemies, and he's, God, get them, kill them. God, attack them, smite them. May the flies of a thousand camels nest in their armpits. God, destroy them. <laughs> and then you get to the last verse of the psalm, and it's like just a totally different 
attitude. You know, the last verse of Psalm 10. I mean, he goes from, you know, God, you're hiding, you're not caring for anybody, and then he goes, you hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry. Well, which is it, David? Which is it? Is God hiding and he's abandoned us, or is he listening and encouraging us? Well, when you're in the midst of the problems, it's confusing. It's confusing. Psalm 13, another example. I love this one. It's only six verses long. I mean, you talk about mood swings. I mean, he starts out in the first verse. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Six verses later, I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. (laughs) Woo! 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 I mean, this guy is all over the place. I mean, he goes from ranting about being abandoned to thanking God for how good he is in six sentences. Because when you're going through a problem, your thinking gets confused. And some of you are going through real difficulty. And, and you have gone through that difficulty and you, are, you have assigned it to God. God, this is your fault. It's your fault I'm unemployed. It's your fault this marriage has fallen apart. It's your fault I'm going through a bankruptcy. It's your fault I'm sick. God, you're not listening. You're hiding. You've abandoned me. And I'm telling you, that's not true. That may be how you truly feel, but it's not true about God. Because when we're going through our problems, we get confused, we get depressed, and we can't see reality. We have a hopelessness that is not consistent with reality. What do we do about it? Well, fortunately, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we don't have a verse, we don't have a psalm, we don't have a chapter, we have a whole book of the Bible that is dedicated to the issue of depression. The great prophet Jeremiah wrote a book called Lamentations. And Lamentations is the Old Testament word for, boy, howdy, am I depressed. Okay, that's the literal translation right out of the Hebrew. In Jeremiah, he writes this whole book where he just laments and complains. It's just sorrowful and sad and discouraged. He's out of sorts. He's at odds with God. I mean, I didn't have room for all these verses. They're just going to be up on the screen. Listen to this. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. There's that darkness thing again. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. God saying, nope, nope. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he has made me dwell. Like those who have been long dead, he is separated from the life of God. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. Jeremiah says, I can't even see a way out of this. He is to me like a bear laying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. One of the versions says that he has mangled me like a bear. He has made me desolate. 
He bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. He made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. I have become a laughingstock to all my people, their mocking song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Would you say that Jeremiah is down? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is down, 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 dooby-doo, down, down. Okay? I mean, God shoots me full of arrows. He's locked me up in the dark. He mangles me like a bear. He breaks my teeth out with rocks. I mean, he is convinced that God is the one causing his problems. He's assigning his problems to God wrongly. But fortunately, in this process, Jeremiah isolates the problem for us, and he really helps us. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, thank God, there is a verse 19 <laughs> and to the end of the chapter, this chapter actually turns into one of the most encouraging chapters in Scripture because Jeremiah is able to overcome his depression. Jeremiah says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. So not only did these bad things happen to Jeremiah, okay, bad things happened to Jeremiah, but now he's sitting there thinking about it. He says, I well remember them. In other words, he's fixated on them he's rehearsing these bad things over and over again in his mind and my soul is downcast within me I'm depressed well of course you are yet and my goal today is to help you realize that we all have these thoughts and feelings from time to time if it can happen to David it can happen to you if it can happen to Jeremiah it can happen to me the question is do we have the ability to get to verse 21 do we have the ability to get to yet and that's what I want to help you do today because I think it's one of the secrets to overcoming depression he says I, I know that, that I'm remembering all this yet this is what I'm going to call to mind because all of us have thoughts all of us have moments of despair the difference between those who stay in those thoughts and wind up depressed and those who don't is their ability to call something new to their mind they have the ability to take that negative thought that is there and say this thought is not going to dominate my life they have the ability to look at the bad things that have happened to them in the past and say these things aren't going to control the future of my life these things are not going to determine who I am and they're able to call something new to mind because depression is hopelessness that is not consistent with reality you want to come out of it you want to be a person who has hope this I call to mind and therefore I have hope and here's the new thought that Jeremiah looked to he, he went from a bear mangling God he, a teeth breaking God to this because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail so which is it Jeremiah which is it is he a bear mangling toothbreaker 
Or is he a loving, compassionate God whose compassion never fails? And Jeremiah says, you know what? I've been through all this junk. God is good. God is compassionate. God is loving. And in fact, Jeremiah realizes that he's going to have this struggle every day when he gets up. And so he says, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And all of us have these moments of all-out despair and darkness, and we start thinking bad things. And listen to me, you get into that cycle, it will make you depressed and it'll destroy your life. It will. And I've had seasons in my life where I'll get to thinking about something and I'll get fixated on something negative and it may be you know, work-related, it may be family-related, it may be health-related, it may be a slight in a relationship, it may be finances, it may be the news. And I'll get into a cycle of thinking about that stuff and I can feel myself spiraling down. And if I let it, it would take me to places I refuse to go. And I have to change my mind. I have to think a new way. And the problem is there are more voices out there saying the opposite of God. And that's why we begin to buy into it and believe it and we can be consumed by it. And so the question is, do you have the ability to call a new thing to mind and therefore have hope? And I, I, I'm speaking today to every person here who's secretly depressed. I mean, you are going through real difficulty and you hurt but you put on a mask and you're sitting here smiling and the people in your row don't even know what's going on. And I want you to know that through the power of the Lord Jesus, through the power of his name and his word, there is hope. There's hope for you. And you can call a new thing to mind. Jeremiah went from, you're a bear mangling, tooth breaking God, to your mercies are new every morning. David went from, you're hiding from me, you've abandoned me, to God, you, you're good. How'd they do that? They changed the way they were thinking. And you take those negative, lying, deceitful voices that are screaming in your ear and you shut them off and you remember that God is faithful. You've got to remember His mercies are new every morning. Because I'll never change my life until I change the way I think and I will never change the way I think until I renew my mind. That's the biblical term for it. It's a renewed mind. I'm thinking some new thoughts. Romans 12:2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I love this verse out of Romans 8, that glorious chapter, Romans 8. It says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. The purpose of this church is to walk you through systematic life change. And I just want to challenge every one of you to give us the chance to pastor you. Ryland and I and the staff, listen, we're not trying to build a church, we're trying to help you. We're trying to help you. And we don't tell you to get into a small group or go through Celebrate Recovery or take the growth track or get on a dream team because we want you to help us. We do those things because we have intently studied churches and church method in order to find the very best way that we can help you. Seriously. 
That's the goal. That's why we do everything we do. Because we're trying to help you make systematic life change that's based on the Word of God. That's what drives everything we do here, is the Word. Look, look at the power of the Word. In the book of Hebrews, it says this about, the Bible says this about itself. It says, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The, the Bible deals with the spiritual aspect, soul and spirit. It deals with the physical aspect of your life, down to your very joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Your mind and heart, you're always thinking something. Your mind and heart are filling up with something. And it may be the lies of the devil, it may be the pollution of the world, it may be the confusion from your own problems, but your mind often gets filled with the wrong stuff. But when you read the Word of God, when you, when you begin to process the Word of God, when you move in systematically to the things we're trying to do around here, the Word of God evaluates, it evaluates your thoughts and attitudes in your mind and heart. Word of God can actually recalibrate your brain. The Bible can change the way you think. The Word of God flushes out all the lies and deceit and confusion and it sets your mind on Jesus Christ. And your life will change dramatically if you open yourself up to the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you, just as, as a practical step toward dealing with depression, I want to every day read God's Word. Every day read God's Word. Why? So you can conquer the Bible? No. So you can become more intellectually smart? No. No. We read God's Word so we can move mountains. So we can move the mountains of addiction and depression and anger and insecurity in your life and find freedom in Jesus Christ. Because when you read the Bible every day, it gives you a new set of thoughts to buy into. And it'll transform your life. It will. Call something new to your mind from God's Word. Let's pray together. It, it's been my prayer this week that, that God would really do a work in your heart and mind. And right now, God is calling you to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, the Lord of your heart and mind. And he's, God is begging with you, pleading, insisting on it that you dethrone those false idols of addiction. And that you flush out those lies and those, that pollution and that confusion in your mind. And that you focus your heart and mind, your life, on Jesus Christ. And this is your moment to do that right now. I invite you just to pray in the quietness of your heart and mind with me. Just say, God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to pay for my sin. And I receive what he did on the cross for me, and today... I respond by giving him my life. Forgive me for going my own way, for setting up idols in my heart that feed my addiction, for letting negative thoughts into my mind that depress me. God, today I'm giving you my whole heart. I'm giving you 
everything. I want to serve you. I want you to come live inside of me. Make me a new person. Renew my mind. God, I thank you for every person in this room who's going through darkness but is moving toward the light. They're making the decision today that they want to turn to you, turn to your word, and find the help that you offer each and every person who seeks you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.